Acts chapter 1. I'll begin reading with verse 6. And up to this point, Jesus has been appearing to the disciples after his resurrection for 40 days, speaking of the kingdom. And now before he ascends, he gathers the disciples together one more time. Verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said this, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. I see four lessons in verse 8 of Acts chapter 1 that I would like to mention for you and then unpack with you. The first one is that the Holy Spirit wants the world for Christ. The second lesson is that the Spirit uses disciples to reach the end of the world. The third lesson is that the Holy Spirit gives power to those disciples for worldwide witness. And the fourth lesson follows from the first three. Let us therefore seek that power for ourselves and for that witness and that mission. So let's take those one at a time, see where they come from and unfold them for our church. The first is that the Spirit wants the world for Christ. I learned this truth by noticing the two halves of verse 8 and how they relate together. The first half of verse 8 says, You shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. The second half of verse 8 says, And you will be my witnesses to the end of the world or to the end of the earth. Now, the question I pose those two halves is this. How could Jesus be so sure that the disciples would indeed press on to the end of the earth in accordance with his command? Because he seems to be very sure that they will here. And the answer from the first half of the verse is that he is going to pour out his Holy Spirit upon them with power. But that doesn't answer the question unless you assume something. Why is it that the pouring out of the Holy Spirit upon the disciples in power guarantees that they will press on to the end of the earth with the gospel and the exaltation of Jesus Christ? In order to make that whole, you have to add one more thing. The Spirit wants the world for Christ. You see, if the Spirit didn't have that as the white-hot flame of His heart, It wouldn't guarantee our going just because He came upon us. If His coming upon us is the power for our going and reaching the ends of the earth, it must be the passion of the Holy Spirit that Christ be carried to the end of the world. And so I conclude from verse 8 that the Spirit of God wants the world for Christ. Now I want to just stress two things that we need to remember in relationship to this first point. The first is this. The reason 
that the Spirit wants the world for Christ is because He is the Spirit of God and God has made it His purpose from creation and will make it His purpose to the end of the age to get glory for Himself from all the nations. It's a golden thread running right through all the books of the Bible. Let me give you a sampling of redemptive history. Numbers chapter 14. All the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Joshua chapter 4. You have come into Canaan so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty. Psalm 96. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Declare His glory among the nations. His marvelous works among all the peoples. Isaiah 49. I will give you as a light to the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Jesus, go, make disciples of all nations. Jesus, this gospel must first be preached to all the nations and then the end will come. And finally, the book of Revelation, Worthy art thou, O Lord, to take the scroll and to open its seals, for thou wast slain, and by thy blood didst ransom men for God from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. So the first thing to remember about the truth that the Holy Spirit wants the world for Christ is that the reason the Spirit wants the world for Christ is because He is the Spirit of God and God's purpose from the beginning of creation to the end of creation is that His name and the name of His Son be lifted high and exalted not just in America but in every people and tribe and tongue around the world. There's a second thing about this first point that I want us to remember. We might ask, why hasn't it happened yet? It isn't completed, this purpose of God. I think Jesus would answer, it is not for you to know times and seasons which the Father has fixed by His own authority. Yours is to, in the power of the Spirit, go. In other words, I don't think He intends to answer for us the timing of His coming and why it has drug on for 2,000 years. Why the Great Commission still is unfinished. The great danger we face in America is falling prey to the illusion that the job is finished. That the world has been evangelized. The gospel's been preached in every nation. He come back right now. It doesn't have to be finished anymore. It already is finished. One of the startling discoveries of missiologists in the early 1970s, which Ralph Winter used to blow away the minds of the people who met at Lausanne, Switzerland, was this. Five-sixths of all the unbelievers in the world live where they can only be reached by cross-cultural missionaries. In spite of the fact that during the 1950s and 1960s there was great retrenchment on the part of missions as the colonial period closed and we thought that the day of missions was over and the job was finished. Five-sixths of the unbelievers in the world live in people groups 
where there is no indigenous evangelizing church. If they're going to be reached, they can only be reached by some form of cross-cultural mission effort. The U.S. Center for World Mission, where about 25 of our young people are going to be going this month for training in mission strategy, estimates some 16,000 people groups that do not have indigenous evangelizing churches that could evangelize themselves. We don't see this. The great tragedy of the contemporary church in America is that we don't see the hidden peoples, the dreadful plight that the world still lives in with the job unfinished. We are deceived because in America we have radio stations and television programs and churches to such an extent it is hard for us to imagine what it would be like anywhere else. There is one evangelical in America for every three people. In India, there's one evangelical for every 173 people. In America, there is one vocational Christian worker for every 269 people. In India, there's one Christian worker for every 4,500 people. In this country, there is one church for every 800 people. There are 800 churches in the Twin Cities. In India, there's one church for every 8,000 people. And that just includes every sort of Christian church, not just evangelical. Oswald Smith used to say, if you saw ten men lifting a log and there were nine men on one end and one man on the other end, where would you help? There are 190 nations in the world with proportionately fewer Christian workers than we have. I said proportionately fewer, not just numerically fewer. In relation to population, there are 223 countries in the world. Of these 190, 45 have fewer than one-tenth as many Christian workers in proportion to the population. And of those 45, there are many who have fewer than a hundred of what we have. And yet, year after year, across this nation, in our churches, in our seminaries and our colleges, we urge and encourage young people to go to the wrong end of the log. And it's a strange thing if you say to a young ministerial candidate, uh, have you considered uh, overseas? That ought not to be strange. That ought to be typical. It is a fact, is it not, from these statistics that we can prove that the American church does not have a military mindset or a wartime mentality, but a peacetime mentality. It is as though during the Second World War, a million young men should be drafted and 600 of them sent to fight Hitler and 999,400 sent to Norfolk, Virginia. And I chose that percentage because that's exactly the percentage that exists in foreign missions and home workers. The Spirit wants the world for Christ. The goal is not reached and therefore it is time for Bethlehem to move dramatically with the Holy Spirit 
for world evangelization. More specifics on that in a moment. There are two other points from the text that we need to draw out first. The first one was, the Spirit wants the world for Christ. The second is this. The Spirit uses disciples to reach the ends of the earth with the Word of Christ. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses. Pretty clear, very simple lesson. One of the dangers of theological Arminianism is that it teaches man to usurp the place of God in conversion. One of the dangers of theological Calvinism is that it leads some people to deny the place of man in evangelism. If this book of Acts teaches anything plainly, it is that the Holy Spirit wills to reach the ends of the earth through you and me, not through some smoke. Until Christian disciples carry the message of the gospel, the hidden peoples will remain in darkness and under the condemnation of God for their unbelief and rebellion. For there is no salvation apart from Jesus Christ and a human witness to his glory. So that's the second lesson. The Spirit uses disciples to reach the ends of the earth. You are essential in the chain of redemption. The third lesson is just as important. The Spirit gives power to you for worldwide witness. People are indispensable. But people without the Spirit are useless. People without power achieve nothing. doesn't matter how many there are. There must be power. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses. Without power, we languish in fruitlessness, whether we've got a, an army of a million or an army of 600. Jesus said in Luke 24, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in Jerusalem until you are clothed with power from on high. Now, I've tried to figure out for myself and for you practically what that means. What is this waiting? What are we to do in order to be touched by this power? Does it mean that we should wait until there are some strange vibrations that come over us before we move out in obedience to the command to witness and go in evangelism? I don't think so, because that would mean that in the book of Acts there's some strange and inexplicable things. Frequently in the book of Acts, what you find is that the Holy Spirit comes upon a person right when he's given an opportunity to speak. Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke, and so on. So it doesn't seem as though you should wait in your room at home until you are empowered in the sense of feeling overwhelmingly powerful before you accept some call to go or to witness. The muzzle gets hot when it's fired. 
How then do we wait for power? I think there is a sense in which we should wait. I think we should wait until we are convinced in our heart, persuaded in our heart, that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. I think we should wait until we are persuaded and have confidence in our heart that the word of the cross, while it may be foolishness to some, a stumbling block to others, is the power of God to those who are being saved. And I think we should wait until we are assured that we have the Holy Spirit in our hearts. And the Bible simply says that when He comes into your heart, He cries out, Abba, Father, and gives you great assurance that you are His child. When you know that you have Him, when you believe the power of His gospel, you are ready to go or to bear witness. And when you open your mouth, He'll fill it. And you will know the power of God Inexperience. It all lies there latent in every believer because the Spirit is in every believer and because the, the confidence in the Word of God is in every believer. Now remains the seeking, the prayer, and the waiting upon the Holy Spirit until He comes upon us with power. And that brings me to the final challenge. Let us earnestly seek the power of the Spirit to reach people without the gospel. Let's try to have the passion of the Spirit's heart in our heart. Next Sunday is Pentecost Sunday. Seven weeks after the resurrection day when we blew the lid off here in the festival of the resurrection. It was a great time. I can hardly believe it's been six weeks. That means that this week... <laughs> Leading up to next Sunday, Pentecost, is the week in which the apostles and the 120 were meeting in the upper room, waiting, waiting. And it says in Acts 1.14, they were gathered together with one mind and they devoted themselves to prayer. There are people doing that this week around the world in anticipation of a new outpouring of God's power on the day of Pentecost next Sunday. There's a great prayer conference being held in Seoul, Korea at which they anticipate millions of people rallying next Sunday after a week of prayer. And the main burden of prayer around the world this week is that God would pour out His Spirit to empower His church to complete the mission of world evangelization. And I want Bethlehem to be a part of that praying and a part of that mission. And I'm praying that you want that too. Friday night at 7 o'clock, Missions in the Manse 2. Now this is open to any of you who is sensing the possibility that God is calling you either to some kind of short-term or vocational ministry at home or overseas. Old or young or in the middle. It isn't just for Toshavim. I would love to see some of you older people who think that you might and do that in the future come. March 9th, we had missions in the manse one and there were 90 young people who came. I'd take all the furniture out of my house and we sit on the floor and pack it out. And I'd love to do that again Friday. Noel and I promised that we would pray for anyone who comes to Missions in the Manse by name every day 
through the end of this year. And we began that as soon as we got that list of names. We have not missed a day. Even when I went to Houston, I took my list with me. It's over on our bedstead. 98 names, because we penciled in some others since they came. But I warn you, we pray for some pretty radical things. So don't you come and get your name on that list unless you're willing to be worked on by Almighty God in the future. That'll go from seven to nine. In prayer and worship and challenge. At ten o'clock Friday night, we're going to pray all night in the junior room. And that's open to the whole church, not just to Toshavim, not just to people who are called to missions. The junior room is right back there on this floor. We did this. Hundred of you came for this in January, and we had a great time. Many of you wonder, how can you spend a night in prayer? I go to sleep in the worship service. The people who have planned this know the problems. And we've thought it all through. There are refreshments, there are breaks, there's fellowship. We'll go from 10 at night till 6 in the morning. We'll eat breakfast together. It'll go by so fast you won't believe it. And you will feel so good that you have poured out a night to the Lord for His power. Last Wednesday, no, Wednesday a week ago, the deacons approved unanimously the goal of 90 by 90. 90 by 90 now is an official goal of Bethlehem Baptist Church established by the deacons and by the staff, and we are so eager to make it a reality. Here's what it means. From January 1984 to January 1990, our goal at Bethlehem is to send 90 people into mission, whether short-term or vocational, whether ministry at home or mission abroad, members who enter one of those areas. 90 people by 1990, an average of 15 a year. We don't have to be vague anymore. This gives us something to plan for, to pray for, to recruit for, to train for, to give for. The challenge is before us, and I believe that it is of God and of the Spirit. The Spirit who wants the world for Christ. The Spirit who gives power to disciples and the Spirit who uses you and me to complete the mission of world evangelization. Let's pray together. As we pray, would you use this moment to rededicate yourself afresh to single-hearted, strategic investment in this cause of Christ, whether at home or on the frontiers overseas. Let's use this moment as we dedicate ourselves afresh to Christ's great cause.